Hi there, welcome to Lost Classics. My name is Ryan O'Donoghue and each week I, along with my co-host Paul Hunter, will talk about a classic album that time has forgotten and that is subsequently ripe for rediscovery. In this first episode, Paul and I are going to take a look at Eric Matthews' 1995 album, It's Heavy In Here. So tune in, sit back and enjoy. Hello everyone, this is um, myself, Ryan O'Donoghue, with the one and only Paul Hunter. We're going to be talking today about the uh, album It's Heavy In Here by Eric Matthews. And, um, well, first thing to really sort of talk about is how we, how did we come across this album? How did you come across it, Paul? Um, well, to be honest, it was you that kind of drew my attention to its existence. Which is true. Uh, um, I remember seeing that the cover around at the time and seeing that it was on Sub Pop and I remember hearing the single as well. Fanfare. Yeah, I remember hearing that single and it was obviously, um, yeah, pretty pretty memorable single but other than that I wasn't really that aware of it until you until you mentioned it. But then it triggered the memory of when yes. you did first hear it. Yeah, I um, first came across the song Fanfare which was really the, the, the single uh, the lead single of It's Heavy In Here on a, a show that I don't know how long it hasn't existed for, but the, the chart show. Mm. And it just showed the video to that particular song. And I was immediately sort of curious about it because it seemed to be quite unique and it didn't seem to be kind of, um, it seemed to be defiantly different from everything that was pretty much released at that time. And... Um, I just really, really liked it, and what as, year is this we're talking? We're talking about nineteen ninety five, right? Um, and subsequently, I don't think it was that long after that. It, was, it might have been a couple of years after that that I actually, I, around that time in the nineties, as I you know show my age now, as I was a teenager, I was actually um, I would often get sort of albums cheap at secondhand places. Um, and I got, I believe I got the album, it's heavy in here, um, from a shop called Snoopy's, which I think still exists in Boscombe. And I got the album and I knew a little bit about the, the sort of background of it. Um, I'd read a, a little bit about Eric Matthews and like yourself, I was kind of kind of uh, intrigued because number one, it was on the label Sub Pop, which... Both you and I being of that generation, we were the generation that sort of very much um, became sort of got to know bands like Nirvana. Um, Sub Pop obviously had like a lot of cachet um, in the counterculture. And this album, and particularly, well, the, the, the actual track Fanfare, which was the first single off of it, just seemed to be not like for want of a better description, like a grunge tune. It was completely different. And yeah. it didn't seem um, indicative of what had previously been on that label. Yeah, it was... I mean, I don't know if this was a... Um, if this was a deliberate change of direction for Sub Pop, but um, it seemed... It's obviously the record is more kind of a sort of... Um, kind of indie pop record you know there's a lot of yeah. orchestration on it it's got a lot of kind of 60s influences baroque kind of sort of orchestrated pop kind of influences on it could have just been changing you know mood 
Yeah. Of the times, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, there wasn't any trumpets on Tad records or... No, no, Tad. No. Yeah, so yeah, it's definitely sort of seemed atypical for, for sub-pop. Yeah. Yeah, a complete sort of left turn, really, for, mm. for the label. And I think, actually, it's what, what is interesting is because um, I think it's after Nirvana, and particularly after the grunge era, I do think it's... I think it was the case that Sub Pop began to kind of struggle a little bit as a label. It began to struggle kind of to, to find its identity. And it wasn't really until really I'd say the beginning of the noughties that that label began to find its footing mm. but well, well their, their biggest ever selling record on Sub Pop apparently was the first Shins album oh Shoots to no was it yeah. Shoots to Now or was it yeah. Inverted World or Inverted World oh okay and apparently yeah. that was the, that, apparently that was the biggest selling album ever on Sub Pop because that's around about 2001 yeah yeah uh, I mean, you, you think you think it would be Nirvana, but of course, Nevermind wasn't on Sub Pop. That's right, Bleach. Um, so um, and yeah, and the Eric Matthews is definitely kind of a step more into, more towards the direction of something like the Shins. Yeah. Um, Actually, that there, there are a certain degree of parallels between those two artists, aren't there? I think um, one of the things. I've often, yeah, I would kind of describe really it's heavy in here as kind of like a like a chamber pop album in mm. some ways. You know, it's it's kind of um, not chamber chamber pop. No, Jesus <laughs> Christ, <laughs> chamber pop. Sounds like chamber pop. <laughs> no, all right. But we're not going to sort of liken it to Gigi Allen. <laughs> right. You know, it's about as far removed from that as you can as you can get. Mm. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of. Um, in many ways, fanfare, the, the, the main single off of it, has pretty much everything, including the kitchen sink, thrown mm. into it. It's a big sounding record. Um, I don't, I've got to be brutally honest, I don't know what the, the lyrics are about <laughs> in that tune. I haven't tried to analyse his lyrics. Mm. But um, it's got some incredible sort of guitar playing by Jason Faulkner, who would just not long been in the band Jellyfish and then left mm. become a solo artist and he features quite extensively on the record but um, yeah the album the rest of the album beyond Fanfare is actually quite different and a little mm. bit more sedate isn't it yeah it's it, um, the rest of it is kind of perhaps more of um, it's, some of it's, it's it seems a bit lazy to make the comparison but some of it's obviously Comparable with something like Nick Drake, something, yeah, something like that. Got a sort of pastoral kind of quality. I um, there there are a couple of artists that I would liken, um, that that I would sort of draw some comparison to with this specific record, and and maybe actually for Eric Matthews' overall sound, I do think um his vocals really remind me, and 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 this is the link to the band The Shins in many ways. I do think Eric Matthews' voice is quite similar in many ways to Colin Blumstone of The Zombies. Oh, right. And actually, to be honest, um, I'm a big fan of Colin Blumstone's early career or early albums, the first of which I believe was the album One Year. And I do think there are some similarities with the sound of this record 
with that one and and well yeah and, and with odyssey and oracle yeah sort of zombies absolutely you know, that sort of orchestral thing that was on you're right colin blundstone is a is a is, yeah i think it's, it's quite it's quite a fair comparison and i think also it's, it's quite canny because i think eric matthew's voice is like a lower register kind of um it bears some similarity to colin blundstone's mm. voice really um also in terms of the kind of the arrangements and so forth you know it's, it uses acoustic guitar extensively lots of acoustic instruments bass and drums some string arrangements which are beautifully um orchestrated which mm. were sort of uh, actually arranged by eric matthews himself um and also some woodwind as well and it reminds me in some ways very loosely of the album Forever Changes by Love in, in that sense and purely the instrumentation, which for those of you that might not know, that's an album that was released um, towards the end of the 60s. Um, and it's definitely, it's a, if you haven't checked out that album as well, it's an album that's worth checking out. But the kind of, well, I guess a sort of slightly kind of mariachi trumpet sound. Oh yeah, absolutely. Present on both. Absolutely. Um, but um, this sort of Eric Matthews has kind of like been quite really uh, he only did sort of one album after this Lateness of the Hour which didn't sell as well as this one and then pretty much after that he kind of really kind of slipped under the radar but he was still kind of doing music he actually was working more as a session musician I don't know if you know that track um it's on the album 13 Tales of Bohemia by Dandy Warhols, but he played trumpet on the track Godless. Oh, right. Um, yes. I believe he would be, I think he would have done sessions elsewhere as well. But um, the actual album, it's heavy in here, he plays a fair proportion of the instruments actually himself. And not only that, but it's a sign of um, Sub Pop's faith in him because he actually not only is his project but it he produced it as well so they gave him an awful lot of autonomy in terms of making the record but yeah and to give a bit bit more context for as well he was actually in a band um he did, made one album with an australian singer-songwriter called richard davies you ever heard of richard mm, davies no um, and they they did an album as a band called Cardinal. Oh right, right. Yeah, yeah. And that that album was released a year before. And funny enough, I got that album from your your shop. Ah right, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I listened to Cardinal after you were after you mentioned it. Yeah, and that is also that that is another album that's kind of like a cult album as well, and. It's quite influential. I know that Griff Reese from Super Furry Animals has name checked that album, oh, right. and has subsequently said that kind of that record is kind of um, uses kind of like the melody, um, well, the sort of it has the benefits of all of Eric Matthews' arrangements and the melodicism of Richard Davis's songwriting in the in sort of like the best kind of combination possible, mm. really. And um, so he'd already made one album with 
Richard Davies, which was the only that, that was the only album they ever made together, Cardinal. And then the next year, it's heavy in here, and he also played with um, Lou Barlow as well and Bob Fay of Sebado, and they did an um, an EP. And it was just a one-off under the name of Monica of Belt Buckle, which is also well worth checking out. Completely different again from um, It's Heavy in Here. Mm. But yeah. So he's, he has kind of, he has kind of largely disappeared. He, he still does... A, I think there's a band he's in now called Shalom, and he occasionally he does still make... Um, he does still make music... On occasion, he did. He did actually do an album. Um, I think it was about ten years. He's he's done a couple of albums since those first two, but they've mm. been there's been gaps in between. And I think those first two, both it's heavy in here and um, lateness of the hour, the only albums he's made with Sub Pop. So every album that's been released since then really has been independently um, released right. on a shoestring, you know. But uh, is this a is this a record that that's kind of uh, recognised as being? I mean, does it have some recognition as being, you know, a kind of lost classic? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, has it had the whole kind of reissue treatment? It it hasn't about? had the reissue treatment, which is a little curious. Mm. Because I, and I don't know that Sub Pop have actually reissued that many albums full stop mm. to be honest and I don't know if that's that, that's to do part I don't know if that's an ideological right. sort of issue or whether they whether they're not necessarily I, I, I honestly don't think Sub Pop have necessarily reissued records out of their mm. back catalogue and um, I can think of one actually they did reissue that album Give Up by the Postal Service alright ten years after it was released so, but that's the only one I can think mm. of. Yeah. I mean, there's quite a lot of that kind of post-rock stuff, and which I can imagine sort of having, still having an audience, but... Yeah. With this one, although it's great, yeah. it's kind of, I just can't quite imagine what the audience would be. That's the thing, yeah. I think, um... I don't know if he particularly played live at all around yeah. the time of the, the the record being made and so forth. The cover doesn't give away much either. No. You look at the cover and you're like, what is this? No. Yeah, well, the, 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 uh, to be honest, the cover is quite in, indicative of, of kind of like the mood of the album, isn't it? It yeah. is somebody who obviously takes what he does very seriously. It's quite, um, uh, I would say in some ways, kind of maybe a little bit pompous, <laughs> a little bit earnest. Um, there doesn't if, if there is a sense of humour in, in in the lyrics, it doesn't necessarily it's not completely obvious, but um, but yeah, no, I'd agree. I think it, I think it very much is a cult album. Yeah, in every conceivable way. I mean, it's strength. It strengths is is in the melodicism and the the arranging. Yeah, it's just it's just it's very just kind of richly musical. Yeah, it's not kind of ex. It's not the kind of extraneous things about it that are, that are interesting it's it really is just purely the, the you know the studio sound that he's created absolutely yeah yeah um and i mean as i said the, the other kind of like really sort of significant musician on the album is jason faulkner mm. 
um, who features, I think, almost, almost, I think, on every track. Literally all of the lead guitar parts and so forth are him. Mm. And he does feature quite extensively on um, on the track Fanfare. Um, and it's kind of like, it's, it is kind of quite Beatlesque, I would say. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and there's a lot of harm. there's actually um, some harmonised guitar playing on the track um, Forging Plastic Pain as well, oh, yeah. which is one of the first tracks on the first half of the album, um, which he plays really, really beautifully. Mm. But yeah. Well, obviously Jellyfish are kind of, they were sort of a you know a band who kind of seemed to have a bit of a cult following. Yeah, but admittedly a bigger cult following than Eric right. Matisse. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and it's interesting, really, because I mean, for those of you who might be into the um, the artist Beck, Jason Faulkner is the, you know this. Jason Faulkner is actually the the lead guitar player in Beck's touring oh, band, right. okay. and he's actually been. Um, he's actually played on a good number of Beck's albums I'd say since I would say the album Sea Change oh, right. and he's been pretty, almost on every album since then mm. um, and he also he, he's played with the band Air right. and also um, occasionally with Paul McCartney as well so so he's got well, all these all these kind of groups that you mentioned are all kind of fall into that kind of same bracket of like very accomplished, very melodically driven. Yeah. Um slightly sort of slightly ever so slightly smarty pants kind of Yeah. Uh, pop, indie pop. Um but yeah, no, I didn't realise that this guy was so ubiquitous. Jason Faulkner. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and he, like, yeah, he features on a good number of the tracks. Um, and as I said, in some instances playing bass guitar. Um, mm. But, you know, all of, absolutely all of the lead guitar parts are pretty much him. Um, there's on the actual track... Um, Forging Plastic Pain is that um, beautiful um, twin lead guitar part which is harmonised which is kind of almost like Steely Dan-esque which yeah. I think is potentially another influence on the record but mm. it's just beautifully played but um, but yeah, maybe maybe this was kind of um, you know that kind of musicianship ought to never really go out of fashion but in the mid nineties, it kind of was kind of out of fashion. It was out of fashion, yeah. I mean, I think, it, I think it was. I do think it's heavy in here as as an album that was meant to be defiantly, not of its time. Yeah, not adhering to the zeitgeist in mm. any way whatsoever, and um, defiantly so. And I think um, it's interesting that Sub Pop kind of decided to kind of get behind it they obviously saw that I think there was, I think the, the label possibly took on the record um, knowing perhaps that it would be kind of almost like um, I, want, I, I don't know if you could say it's a, 
like a flag, but how can you say, kind of, um, kind of a... Trying to be a little bit provocative. I think so, I think so. And I think maybe, maybe it was a sort of a, a way of trying to kind of define, redefine the label yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, rather than just sort of, you know, um, uh, just kind of creating, you know, delivering more of what people's expectations have been. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, quite smart really in that respect. But um, I think in some ways, I think it was it was it was perhaps a little too early for the label themselves to be kind of sort of trying to redefine themselves in that way. But I do th also think that um, it is an early signpost of where the label mm. went. Post millennium, actually. Yes. So, so what are you, what are, what are some of your favorite tracks on this? What sort of? Do you I would say um, one one track that I really uh, another track that I really really like. Um, that's quite uh, melancholic. Is Faith the Clay, which I think you, you said about Nick Drake. Mm. It's quite a sparse track. Um, sort of quite a melancholic melody, and it's I think it's yeah, it is by far one of the most sparsest tracks on it, and that one. If you're gonna make, a, if you're gonna draw a comparison to Nick Drake, that's possibly the most sort of Nick Drake esque tune mm. of the whole shebang, really. And not sort of there's that over of songs Nick Drake that would do that would be there'd be tinges of melancholy, but there'd be maybe the melodies would be a bit uplifting. This is not one of those tunes. Mm. It's a little bit more like it's it's more within the ballpark of something like Fruit Tree in terms right. of you know. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, Nick Nick Drake himself is kind of, you know, the first two records are more kind of fall into this kind of beautifully arranged kind of delicate kind of folk folk rock kind of style. Absolutely, yeah. And, and the latter half is, you know, Pink Moon, and then the kind of the very last recordings are, are more kind of like stark kind of you know one man and the guitar bearing the soul kind of stuff. Well, there's a tinge of that um, in, in terms of that, that kind of ethos mm. with the, the, the sort of like the coda of the album, which is actually a reprise of fanfare. Um, but Eric Matthews and just an acoustic guitar. Mm. And actually, what is really great about the record, and I think it's one of the record's strengths, um, is the brevity of the tracks. Every track is about yeah. roughly three minutes and actually quite a lot happens within each of those mm. three minutes. Into, you know, not, it's not that every song is, dense, is densely arranged and every, every second is packed with lots of things going on, but there is that, there's some real kind of quite creative ideas in terms of instrumentation. And Fanfare Reprise is literally the only one um, that is literally just acoustic guitar mm. and voice, and it's really uh, quite a beautiful rendition. Um, it's uh, and it, actually it's one of the shortest tracks on the record as well. It's only just literally just over two minutes long. None of the instrumental passages in it at all, and it's fantastic. But um, another track that's really quite nice is um, Three Cornered Moon. Which is just um, no percussion for the most part, um, and a really beautiful brass arrangement as mm. well. 
but yeah, it's it's a really quite a sedate record, really, all in all. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm I'm really um, um pleased you turned me on to it because it's a you know, it's for fans of things like the Left Bank or the Zombies or yeah, you know, it's kind of a nineties version of that kind of sound. I would say so, and 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 that's not it's not. Not that that's ev- to everyone's taste, but it is. I think it's a record that, though it was very much, out, it, it might have been defiantly out of step um, with the times. It's certainly not adhering to any kind of zeitgeist. But I think it was a record that was made with the sole purpose of lasting and mm. to be timeless. Um, and that's why I think it is a bit of a cult classic or a lost classic because it does s- sound as fresh now as it mm. did um, just over 20 years ago. Yeah. And I think it's a bit of a shame that he just wasn't able to kind of um, really kind of make much headway beyond um, the kind of minor, and it was only minor success of this record. Yeah. It's maybe it's time, it was maybe a slight, ever so slightly before it's time. I would say so. You know... Um, kind of sort of late nineties, you know, there was a whole load of this kind of stuff coming along. More, you know, what if I was, you know, I don't mean to sound disparaging, but a lot of what you might call record collection rock, you know, that's st- a term that Simon Reynolds used. The guy oh, that wrote yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that's 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 a good way of putting it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's stuff where it's kind of. You know, people have spent a decade absorbing, you know, uh, rock history. Yeah, yeah. And, or, 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 or their own particular take on rock history. I mean, I like bands, I like bands like Stereolab or even Bell and Sebastian. You yeah, know? But yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely that music to some extent is kind of a, it's, it's, it exists partly as it's been inspired by it's been inspired by other records absolutely it's been, it's been inspired by the world of records you know, mm-hmm. you know and, of, and of pop history kind of a, like a fetishism a little a way, bit yeah. yeah I mean yeah. For, for you know like I say I like I like both those bands I think excellent that's something that was that was actually interesting at the time mm-hmm. um, but the, and this 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 doesn't really quite fall into that because it is a little bit more timeless, as you say. I'd say. I think it is quite defiantly singular, and I think it is also. I think the reason why it is quite singular is because um, he is obviously kind of like a classically trained mm. musician, and it even um, I wish I had the record here because there's kind of like almost you know like how Derek Taylor, uh, the Beatles publicist. Mm. Like when you got the Beatles anthology, and mm. you opened up um, the the CD case, there'd be kind of like almost like a, a press release um, statement mm. about um, the Beatles, or, or yes, and that's kind of pretty much what's on the back of the album. Um, it's heavy in here, oh. um, and it's kind of it's almost done deliberately to kind of signify that this is an album that kind of takes a nod to the past. Mm. Um, 
But having said that, the record, whilst it does take from the past, it is something that is kind of quite uniquely him, isn't it? Yeah. And I think a lot of that is because, um, you know, very much a classically trained musician mm. that is a bit of a, a, a jack of all trades when it comes to playing lots of different instruments, you know. Yeah. I think there's tinges also of Burt Bacharach as well. Yeah, definitely. In the record. Definitely. You know. And there's an album, there's an element of it being kind of like um, a lounge, kind of um, lounge music album in some ways, mm. you know. Yeah. I don't know if he's Californian, but it kind of sounds Californian to me. That's a very good point. We will find out whether he is Californian or not, but... Um, I did. I, I I do recall that I did actually sort of know about his origins in terms of where he came from, but we will find out in due course. But um, are there any particular favourite tracks of the album that you? Um, yeah, there was there. There is that one. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I think the second track is possibly my favorite. For, uh, forging plastic. Oh, forging pain. plastic pain. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did like that one. Yeah. yeah. It's it's kind of it's sort of. I mean, I'm I'm bad for remembering titles, but it it is kind of like it does kind of it feels like a sweet really rather than yeah you know. So you can just kind of listen. It's like it's like when I listen to something like talk talk, or something like that, I can tell you any of the song titles. You know? Yeah. It's just kind of it's one sort of work really you know well just reading up on Eric Matthews um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm laughing because actually he was born in Compton California <laughs> alright the uh, you know as known oh, the ubiquitous yes. NWA album straight out of Compton oh. you couldn't get anybody more dip completely polar or opposite to that but um Basically, um, he was very much based in um, the Boston music scene, which is where he met um, the Australian singer-songwriter Richard Davies. And um, so, yeah. Right. In terms of the Boston music community, that was kind of where he kind of cut his teeth as such. Right. Okay, of course, Sebado were from Boston, weren't they? Exactly. So that, that explains the connection between the two bands mm. and why they made that, right. that one-off EP, Belt Buckle, which is... Also worth checking out. Boss Town. Boss Town. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, to those of you who might not have, you know, you know, might be curious in checking it out, it is well worth checking out. Um, as I said, it's not necessarily to everybody's taste. Um, it's not, you know, it is quite a sedate record. Um, but if you do like Nick Drake, if you like Colin Blundstone, if you like the Zombies, Maybe Steely Dan, maybe? Yeah, definitely, yeah. You'd probably like this record, so... Yeah, it's not It's not something for... If you kind of, like... It's not hard... This, this is not hardcore. No, no. At all. No, this, absolutely this not. This is very, you know, pleasant, you know, professionally arranged and performed with, you know... It's not. It's not even that particularly sort of smarty pants or meta or anything like that. It's no. just, it's just very. It's just very, kind of yeah, classic, you know, pop approach in a very kind of. 
classic in form. So it's nice. Well worth checking out. Until next time, we will see you soon. We will sort of announce which uh, album we're going to do next soon enough. Until then, take care. Is that half, half an hour of that? Yeah. Yeah.